Okay, because if you do have more of this oxytocin, you're probably going to have a more positive view. Then you're going to relate to people in a more positive way. And if you relate to them in a more positive way, they're going to relate back to you in a more positive way. This week, if you naturally have more oxytocin flowing through your body, does that mean you're predisposed to have a happier marriage just naturally? Dr. Karen Sherman and I discuss a new study. Stay tuned. I'm going to keep this short. First, thank you for listening. If you're a regular listener, I would greatly appreciate it if you would leave a review on whatever platform you listen to us on. This will help others discover us. Also, if you like the podcast, I highly recommend visiting our website, hitchedmag.com, which is updated daily with new content and where you will find thousands of articles available anytime. Lastly, I understand that not everything we talk about applies to everyone. However, I am confident that if you go to hitchmag.com and subscribe to our free weekly newsletter, that you will find at least one and probably more pieces of information each week that will help your marriage thrive. I hope you enjoy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is Steve Cooper, editor-in-chief of hitchedmag.com. I am joined once again by the lovely, the brilliant, the original Dr. Karen Sherman. Hi, Karen. Hi, Steve. Hi. It is uh, always great to have you on. Um, Karen is a practicing psychologist in relationship and lifestyle issues for 30 years. Uh, Karen is also the author of Mindfulness and the Art of Choice, Transform Your Life, and she is the co-author of Marriage Magic, Find It, Keep It, and Make It Last. Um, so today, Karen, we have a, and I think it's an interesting one. Um, I'm going to pose a question based on an article that I read. So mm-hmm. the question is, are you... Are we genetically predisposed to be happy in marriage? And so this question comes from an article that I mentioned um, that discusses a study about the effects of oxytocin, a naturally occurring hormone that we've talked a lot about, um, and it's often called the love drug or the cuddle hormone or you know a variety of different names. Um, and it's it's all it's essentially about bonding. Um, so I was interested that the study. Um, wanted to see whether or not people who have this hormone uh, naturally occurring in them in higher doses actually have happier marriages or not. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I don't want to get into the weeds about the process of the study too much um, uh, because I don't think it's overly relevant to the discussion that I would like to have with you today. Uh, But the researchers found that a particular... Uh, type of hormone genotype receptor did in fact show that a relationship between these higher numbers and uh, higher marital satisfaction. So um, in short, people who had uh, oxytocin naturally occurring higher in their body uh, and higher doses in their body um, in the, and, and again, in this particular hormone genotype receptor, uh, they did show higher marital satisfaction. So my first question to you is, does that surprise you? Okay, so you're basically asking me, um, does it surprise me that there is some kind of biological or genetic component uh, that might impact 
marriage. And so, yes. right? Am I so, am I getting yes. you right? Yes. Okay. It's in your 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 explanation was so much more succinct than what I just did. Uh, that's okay. <laughs> Most of the time, you're more succinct. So now we're even. Okay. Um, so no, it doesn't surprise me because when we look at. Um, a whole slew of other behaviors in people, there's always going to be some genetic factor involved. Uh, we are getting more and more sophisticated in being able to um, be specific about how much is um, responsible of, you know, how much variation is responsible due to the genes, but we are finding that generally there is some genetic component. So no, it doesn't surprise me. Okay. Um, I think one of the things that I feel is at least a great takeaway from what the researchers state is that this in no way determines relationship outcomes. Um, and that the, like, it's not like you have to have higher makeup of oxytocin running through your veins to have a good marriage. So uh, does this change the value of the study? I mean, what's the point if, if it's like, it's all under our control anyway? Well, you know, I read the study also. Okay. And, one of the things that they said is that this is a correlation study, and we've discussed this before, right. but either for people who forgot what that is or who are just tuning in for the first time, a correlation means that there is a relationship that we find that when one – that two variables, two um, aspects are related to each other. It doesn't mean anything about cause. So the fact that they have found that people who have um, this particular gene have higher uh, marital satisfaction is a correlation. It doesn't mean that it's the gene per se that's actually causing it. And if you go through the study, at the very end, it said that it only accounts for 4% of the variation. Mm -hmm. 96% of the variation is not due to this gene. So it's not even really a high amount from what they've been able to discern at this point. Mm -hmm. So does it take away from it? I don't know if it takes away, but I don't know that it really adds too, too much to it. Um, I think some of the other things that we're going to discuss today um, might be more of an interest <laughs> yeah. as to having this gene and what impact it has. Yeah. And that was actually... Um, one of the things that I thought was interesting is that, to your point, it only had like a 4% impact, is that it really is up to us. Like, the, we, whether you are predisposed to have this uh, hormone in higher doses or not, the marital satisfaction that you reap is really based on a lot of the things that you do and have control over. So I thought that was right. actually kind of a good piece to take away from this. Right. Um, another piece of the puzzle is that uh, marital satisfaction, according to researchers, was mediated by a spouse's attachment anxiety. So those people who had higher oxytocin tended to be more happy in their relationship, potentially because of the GG genotype, which predicted less anxiety, which in turn predicted higher relationship quality. And so I know attachment is uh, a special specialty of yours. Uh, can you explain why this is? Okay, so this now starts to get much more interesting and to me explains more. Mm -hmm. So first of all, if you're going to have less anxiety and probably um, approach the world with 
a more positive view. Okay, because if you do have more of this oxytocin, you're probably going to have a more positive view. Then you're going to relate to people in a more positive way. And if you relate to them in a more positive way, they're going to relate back to you in a more positive way. Mm -hmm. So before we even get to attachment, um, very often in the relationship field, we talk about the dance that couples do with each other, meaning that the way or the way I used to speak about it is action equals reaction. So the way I act is going to impact the way you react. And then the way you react is going to impact the way I then react, react to you, Mm -hmm. so to speak. And so if I am basically a positive person and I am doling out this positive way of dealing with life, then it's likely that you're going to come back to me in a positive way as well. And the overall issue or the overall dance is going to be one that is going to be much more positive and uplifting and respectful and happy. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so Now we start to look at the other mediating factors, and that's the difference between the correlation and now looking for other um, variables that might actually be causing the reason that the relationship is happier. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, Now, I want to say something else. Now let's get to attachment. Right. Um, That one of the things that we find is that People tend to be attracted to people who have similar attachment styles. Okay, so what do I mean by that? There are, when you are raised, um, there are different parenting styles that leave one feeling either um, secure, feeling loved, and cared about, and that's going to lead you to be a person who feels confident and good about yourself. There are other uh, types of parenting, and I'm not bashing parents. I'm just saying that you know there's different ways of being brought up that leave a person in their later years feeling um, not as confident, not as secure, um, anxious about are they really loved? You know, feeling much more insecure. Mm-hmm. There are some parenting styles, and I'm being you know, very uh, cryptic in this, you know, just to try to make the main points, who end up feeling um, very ex- extremely insecure and almost avoidant of making a true commitment. Now, somebody who's a highly secure person is not going to be drawn to a very needy, insecure person. Mm, okay. So if you have a lot of this GG genotype and you've been raised in a home that is very loving and provides a secure attachment style, you're going to be drawn to someone like that. And so what's the outcome going to be? You're going to have a happy marriage. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you're, so it's not just what you have genetically been handed out, but it's also, again, the way you've been raised and what you're going to be drawn to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there are lots of mitigating factors that will play into how you um, choose your mate and who you are drawn to. Right. It, it, it's interesting because when I uh, hear you talking about that, I'm thinking of 
how we see this kind of thing play out in other realms of marriage and um, marriage success rates. So um, college education is one of them, where if you have a college degree, you have, uh, you're less likely to get divorced than somebody without a college degree. Mm-hmm. And it's not because, again, correlation, causation, it's not because you went to college, but it's because right. you have... Uh, you'll likely wind up with a higher paying job. You will have financial security, which mitigates some of those arguments. Like it just kind of, it sets you on this life path of choices and responses and reactions to uh, just what you were talking about that kind of like unfolds uh, when you start going down that road. Correct. Correct. Um, One of the things that, by the way, that was very interesting. Um, But one of the things that I love about this is that uh, attachment bonds can be strengthened and learned through deliberate effort. So, yes, I wanted to ask if you have, if you can share some tips. Okay. So, obviously, I'm in the business of helping people to be their best possible self. As a matter of fact, when I tell people that um, I'm a relationship specialist, I say in relationship to others and yourself. Mm. So... If you have come from a background where there has been dysfunction, and again, I'm not bashing parents. I think every parent does the very best they can, but they were the product of their upbringing, Mm -hmm. you know, and so on and so on. But let's say you haven't had the best upbringing. That doesn't mean that you have to now be a victim your whole life. Once you are aware that there are certain frailties or areas where you have um, needs to improve, to heal certain emotional boo-boos, you can get those repaired. Those can be healed. We have lots of different therapeutic methods now that can address old issues where you no longer have to um, continue the path that was started when you were a child. We used to think that once your brain grew, that was it, you were done. Mm -hmm. We now know that the brain has the ability to actually be rewired. And so therefore, um, you actually can heal the wounds from your past. Now, it, it takes work, but the work can absolutely be done. So that's the first thing, starting with yourself. The second thing, and this I find really fascinating, as a matter of fact, I was just actually working with um, a woman in a relationship, and um, she has some issues from her past where um, she just didn't feel because she had parents who were very much more in their head, they weren't so nurturing, and so she never really felt that she mattered very much. Mm -hmm. She married a man who is much more task-oriented, but he's also very receptive to being open to her and hearing her needs and responding to her. It's a beautiful combination. Uh And so what I was telling her was that this need still exists in her and it's symptomatized in a way where um, for just a very short period of time, she was trying to get these needs met outside the marriage. Um, And what I said to her was that um, if she could when she felt this need, explain it to her husband, um, and he could respond to it and not poo-poo it or invalidate it, 
the healing could take place right within the relationship. Mm-hmm. So she would have to own it. She would have to recognize that that's what she was feeling, not blame it on him and say, you know, you are not doing this or you are not doing that, but say, this is, you know, I've discussed it with you. This is coming from a need I have, you know, left over from my past, but this is what I feel I need from you. And if he could be responsive to it, the healing can take place right in the relationship. Mm-hmm. So that's a beautiful thing, yeah, you know? Totally. Um, so Again, even if you um, have had some um, attachment issues, and attachment issues are basically, let me just explain that to people, a feeling of, I don't matter, I'm not loved enough, um, you know, you're going to leave me, um, and um, we've spoken about Sue Johnson in the past, mm-hmm. and she's the one that really speaks so eloquently about this. But she says if you listen to couples fighting, that don't don't concentrate on the substance of their fight. What's always underneath it is some kind of an attachment issue, like, you know, um, you know, are you going to leave me? Am I good enough? Will you still love me? And today I was working with somebody who said she never speaks up again because of what she learned in her childhood. Mm -hmm. And she's afraid if she speaks up, her husband's going to get upset with her. And I said, so what happens if he's upset with you? And we talked it through and talked it through. And she said, well, he's going to get nasty. I said, well, what what would that mean? Mm -hmm. And she thought about it for a while. And what we finally came up with, or what she came up with is, well, you know, if he's nasty to me, it means he doesn't love me. And there it is. There's the uh, attachment uh, issue. Uh-huh. So we talked about making this distinction between the fact that she's an adult and this is really an issue from her childhood and, and then how to work with it. So that's what we mean by attachment issue. And what you'd have to do again is be cognizant, and I'm purposely using the word cognizant because that's an adult thinking part, Uh that these are emotional issues from your past and uh, be aware of them and then ask your partner for what you need. Explain that you're not blaming them, but ask them for what you need. So the the first part is essentially just to be aware of what's yeah. happening, and then the second part would be to ask your spouse for the need for whatever attachment needs you you have. That's correct. Got now, it. of course, you know you have to hope that you have a a partner who is receptive and understands, um, and there might have to be a little education going on. But in in the best case scenario, you have somebody who, in fact, is. Um, you know, very open and, um, especially if you don't blame them, right, you know, you don't, right. you're not telling them that they're doing anything wrong. Yeah. And, uh, I don't want to gloss over it. Like this is super easy because otherwise you wouldn't have a job and our website wouldn't right. be necessary. So, right. Um, right. <laughs> um, okay. So then, uh, the last thing is, um, the conclusion of this, uh, study was that while genetics, looks to have some role, attachment styles, as we've been discussing, uh, look to be even more important. And Mm -hmm. I personally think that couples should be ecstatic about this uh, because they, they, like we were just talking about, these are things that you can, you can do and you can change. Correct. Um, So this also essentially means that our happiness in general is more in our control than not. It's not something that you're genetically happy or genetically not, but you can control some of this stuff. So 
with that reading, am I, am I reading that correctly? Yes, I, that was my takeaway also. Okay. And, you know, it's not like you're doomed because either you have this gene or you don't have this gene. A, a lot of this, as much in life, is is under our control because we are in control of our reactions. And um, going slightly off topic, but still related to it, is Martin Seligman did a lot of research on positive psychology and found that there are some people who are just, this, these are really his words, are grumpy. They're just uh-huh. grumpy. Uh-huh. But even people who are born grumpy can still learn to be positive. So, so let me, t- I'm sorry to parse this really quick. So is there yeah. a difference between positivity, so being positive and, and being happy? No, not really. Okay. I, well, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't want to um, make a general statement. Sure. But the okay. point is that one can learn to be more positive, And when you are more positive, you are happier in your life. Mm-hmm. So maybe I have answered your question. Yeah. I, one of the things that I think about is if you, to, to, to your point about action, reaction, and I, and I probably brought this up a hundred times, but if you go on an elevator and somebody walks in on that elevator while you're standing there and you smile at them, mm-hmm. nine times out of 10, they'll smile back. Yes. And that is a 100% an action reaction because you very easily could have given them some sort of mean mug and they mm-hmm. would have given you like a curious look or a, a hard stare back or whatever. But this goes to show how those little tiny things, and particularly when you become aware of them, can really affect the rest of your day. Mm-hmm. Yep. And theirs. And there's correct. Yeah, right. Because yes. so many times you be you, you, you can be kind to somebody and it makes their day and it gives them a little, you know, a little kick in their step. Um, I was also um, oh, cr- just lost my train of thought. But there's um, ah, I can't remember what I was going to say. Oh, well. <laughs> when you get to be my age, Steve, you get used to it. So oh, man. don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, no. It, I mean, it had something to do with the, the, the action reaction and how we really can um, start to create these cycles of positivity. And it's funny because, you know, there was like the whole secret movement that took place when mm-hmm. the book came out and stuff. And it was like, you know, you put out all this energy and whatever, and it, the universe brings it back to you and all that stuff. But I mean, at its base, like, this is what we're talking about. It's you, yes. you, you smile, you hug, you offer courtesy. And this is actually why when you were talking about, um, you can choose to be positive. Mm-hmm. Um, I, this is why I love manners and courtesy so much. And I think it's, Etiquette is so important because whether you're in a grumpy mood, if you act appropriately, um, that you will still get those positive reactions to it, even if you are emotionally not there. So I, that's why I love etiquette and courtesy so much. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And not only that, we can go into another whole thing. If you smile, even if you're not happy, mm, your, mm-hmm. your brain thinks that you're happy and then you start to be happy. So there's lots of different ways that you can actually take control and bring on the happiness for yourself. And I think maybe what you wanted to say with action reaction is, so if everything is like really sucky around your life you still can take control and start to do something positive and, and switch it around. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you're in control. 
Yes. It's kind of like when everything's like totally chaotic in your life and then you go and you do the dishes because <laughs> mm-hmm. you can, that's like, it's, you're taking back that control. It's the same thing with a smile or a hug or a opening of the door for somebody. It's the same. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Um, do, do you have anything that you would like to add before we button this up? No, I think we okay. brought in a lot of extra stuff today. Yeah, yeah no, that was great. Um, so with that, we will uh, call this one a show. Uh, but before we go, I do want to remind you that you have been listening to Dr. Karen Sherman, who is a practicing psychologist in relationship and lifestyle issues. Uh, Karen is the author of Mindfulness and Art of Choice, Transform Your Life. She is the co-author of Marriage Magic, Find It, Keep It, and Make It Last. You can get this and more information at her website, drkarensherman.com. We have links to her website from hitchedmag.com, as well as uh, all the past episodes, um, uh, thousands of articles, a newsletter, a whole bunch of good stuff for you. So hopefully uh, you check that out. And um, until next time, that's going to do it. Take care, everybody. Explode! We're on top of the world tonight.